This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, the Kings come out with a cool new piece of software. Speaking of cool, there's a Vulcan Air single expected to battle the Cessna 172. Signature gets a big thumbs down in Orange County. And General Aviation Airports gear up for the solar eclipse. Plus stick around for Paul Hornick from the Aerostars. Philip 66 Aviation Aerobatic Team. All right, Dave, you ready to do Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. I'm David Tillis. And David, uh, we're back in the studio, back from Oshkosh. Woo! Yeah, had great, a great time. Great week. That was a lot going on there. It was. It was really busy. Did you get a brat while you were up there? Uh, one. How and about, you know what? It was terrible. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What about the ice cream? Uh, I did get the ice cream. Yeah, that was good ice cream. That was great. I brought some cheese back. Oh, the, did it cheese curd or just no, like re- block re- cheese? Regular block cheese. Okay. It, it was delicious. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I found a new uh, favorite restaurant. So yeah, we had a great time. Good deal. Great time. So um, the first thing we want to talk about is a follow-up piece of news from the show. Um, it was a little bit later in the week, but really cool little thing. Um, the Kings, King Schools. Yeah. Uh, um, they've been very busy. These guys started, uh, you know, they started going basically door to door. Yeah. <laughs> that I know. so wild. I know. They tell great stories about that stuff. Yeah. So they are the training provider for the Cessna Pilot Centers. Right. So if you go and learn to fly to Cessna Pilot Center, King's is the course provider, basically. Uh-huh. And as, as part of the CPC, you'll take their course. Um, obviously, you can take it if you're not part of the CPC, but, you know. Anyway, so... They have developed for the CPC system this really neat application, a flight training management piece of software that, because of my background, I get really wonky and excited about. Uh But it allows you to track students all electronically. So as an instructor, you might have several students working at different parts of their aviation you know, education. Mm-hmm. And this allows you to track how they're doing. Yeah. Maybe give them some coaching Yeah, uh, where they need it. Yeah. I love it. So as an example, uh, like most flight training operations, AOPA, some of the staff is learning to fly and we have a little flight training operation going on here. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, uh, well, I say I'm, little, it's actually I'm, pretty robust. I'm in it myself. Yeah. So there are folders, physical folders. Uh-huh. In the uh, next to the the coordinator's office, okay, and each folder, it's like the syllabus, the paper piece of syllabus is in the folder, and that's how you track students. Okay, and so if the if the person who's managing the program 
wants to see how a student's doing, they have to go open up the folder, look at it, see what's going they on. They physically need to be present. They physically have to open the drawer, find it. Either I guess alphabetically stuff's organized. Yeah, right. Way. And then uh, also as the instructor, it's like I have to print out the syllabus, take it to the airplane with my student, mark on the piece of paper what yeah. we're doing, and then punch it, put it in the folder, whatever. You that, get the idea. That, that's so... That's so 2000. So 2000. <laughs> I know. I know. So what they've done is they have a they've they had a, a management system, electronic management system where instructors could go in after the flight and put in into the cloud how my students doing that sort of thing. Well, now they're it's on an app. And so in the airplane, I as the instructor Oh, cool. At man. the end of the lesson can grade the student and whoop, it's all uploaded to the cloud. Even even maybe before you're done, you might take notes or something. You're taxiing your, in. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because a lot of people use a PDA in the cockpit anyway for, for other navigational awareness. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Or so, checklists. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so you can sign it electronically. Um, it'll log flights if you want to do that. And it's great. And so the student can go home, see how they did on the lesson. If they want to review, the flight training manager can So they see what you, yep. what you put in uh, and everybody can look at it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And they have a, like a security code or something yeah, to get in. Yeah, I'll log in. Lo okay. You got it. It's really cool. That is neat. And John yeah. and Martha are so cool. Yeah. They were podcast guests of ours they early were. on. They were. Do you know that we celebrated our one-year anniversary just recently? You know, you told me that. I guess, man, I lost track. <laughs> I can't believe that. That is amazing. It was in July last year when we cranked it up. That's pretty cool. That is very cool. Anyway, they, they had a lot of other announcements at the show that I don't want to get too deep into. One is a drone course that's doing really well. And AOPA members get a discount for that. You got it. And uh, some other stuff, you know, they're, that they've said it's staff changes and stuff like that. But great to see them at the show. Yeah. See they're doing well and uh, the see what King, they're working on. The Kings are great. I did. Uh, our podcast listeners might remember me saying that I use their videos to get going with my private pilot work. And they're really effective. Yeah. The John and Martha, they're just cool. They're down to home. They're easy going. And they have the, a way of teaching that you just remember the stuff. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. All right. So tell me about this Vulcan Air. Tell me about oh, this new air. Well, this might be really interesting for a lot of folks in the aviation community, Ian. So Vulcan Air, this is a single. It's a four-person single. It looks like a Cessna 172. And um, it's got a constant speed prop, so it's a little bit oh, okay. hotter, a little bit hotter on yeah. the prop. Um, it's also got three doors. This airplane has three doors, so a nod to the passengers. They now have their own door. Oh, so this isn't seaters. like the baggage door that they're, this is not like a hatchback where that they call a five door. It's this like is, a real door. It's not two, yeah, like two the up baggage front and door. one in the, in the okay. one in behind. <laughs> and this, so it looks like a one seventy two. It's coming to us. Um, it's all it's ESA uh, certified. Okay. So it's already been flying over flying in, Europe. in Europe. Okay. And spokesperson Mike McCann said that that this whole plane this plane will be available to us here in the states for two hundred fifty nine thousand dollars. Wow. So, so two hundred sixty grand. That's great. And a Cessna one seventy two, a new one. We said a couple of weeks ago that those were about three sixty three eighty something yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is um, a little bit better, and it's a uh, way well way better price. Yeah. For a new aircraft, it's got a Garmin G500 primary flight display, multifunctional cool. display. So it's an IFR airplane uh, with all the bells and whistles, basically. Yeah. And um, it climbs a little bit better than a 172. It uh, goes about 10 knots faster, huh. supposedly, wow. than a 172. And it's supposed to handle real docilely like a 172. Nice. And built stoutly. And I asked, why? Are, well, what do you mean built stoutly? Well, what does that mean you know, to, to folks here? And they said, well, in Europe, and you might know this, and our podcast listeners might know, 
But in Europe, I guess there's a big aviation community. They use soft fields and grass fields hmm. and not paved strips. Okay. So they're often landing not on a paved strip. Okay, cool. Well, so the reason why I asked these guys, I asked Balkan Air why, and the reason is that in Europe, there are a lot of flying clubs to help lessen the cost of flying. Mm-hmm. Another reason not to have privatization for yeah. ATC here yeah. in the States. Amen. But back uh, over in Europe, they um, have paved strips. The paved strips are costly to land at because you're having to pay fees hmm. and you're also having to pay for ATC. Okay. So this airplane is designed to be landed pretty much anywhere. Cool. Sounds like fun. It's It, it might be a really neat airplane and yeah. I, I'm really excited about it. And you know, anything to lower the cost of aviation, yeah. APA is all for that. Yeah, man. These guys were trying to push this plane to the market. They announced it back in 2014. There was a little bit of a delay with the FAA, hmm. but they, they say that it's going to be here and you know they announced it at Oshkosh and and really I said if a flight school could save a million bucks if they're going to buy 20 airplanes yeah. or so they can they can just save tons of money yeah i mean having yasa certification it's like that gets them really you know pretty close honestly so assuming there aren't any big issues so is um, that how you pronounce it yasa yeah yasa yasa no no i mean but uh, uh but that's the european it's like the european faa yep right? you got it european okay. aviation safety agency i think yep. okay yep cool so that's great i can't wait forward, to fly it yeah i you know they offered us a flight but you and i were both already back here yeah what yeah. a drag yeah well you know all right, next. Business. I want to talk about Signature. Signature flight support. You got it. Um, parent company, BBA Aviation. Speaking of Europe, they're British-based, by the way, if you didn't know. Oh, okay. um, Signature is a British-based company. So you've heard us talk about FBO fees um, and how they're just outrageous in certain pockets, yeah. in certain places. A little while ago, Orange County Airport Authority um, and the community there decided... In California. Yep. Thank okay. you. Voted... Signature had operated there, I believe, like 20 years. Okay. Lease renewal came up and it was denied. So they filed filed a complaint with the FAA. So Signature's lease was denied. Signature filed a complaint. Yep. They So the, the process, without getting too much into the details, the FAA has this formal process where you can appeal stuff or okay. lodge complaints with airports and that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, give us a second chance. Yeah. We right. meant to do the right thing. Yeah. So what's really interesting about this, now we got involved, this is one of the things that sort of I guess you would say we we recognized that there was a problem when these issues started coming yeah. up. We heard from members who were saying it's really outrageous fees and that's at of this thing. particular location. Yeah, and there are a few other places we are looking into. Absolutely, as well. absolutely. And so what happened is the the lease was denied in part because of fees because okay. they they thought uh, that the fees were too high. Okay, well, that's what we're saying, too. Yeah, exactly. And so they, the County Board of Supervisors replaced it with ACI Jet. Um, signature went in. FAA said, mm, no, sorry. Too uh, bad, so sad. Yeah, and, uh, and the quote from the FAA, and this is really important. Okay. This is why we're talking about it. The FAA says in its July 21st decision that sponsors, airport sponsors, airport owners, okay. like Orange County, quote, have a right and responsibility to consider pricing in FBO selection. So the reason why it's key is that these folks are the municipalities that run the airfields. Yep. And the FAA is saying when you select these FBOs and these service providers, fees are a consideration. So you better keep an eye on it and really be fair. Yep. Don't hold people out, hang them out to dry, so to speak. Yeah. And that's that's really all we've been saying. I mean, I've seen some op-eds. You know, saying, oh, it's AOPA wants a free ride and everything else, which absolutely is not the case. Right. Um, you know, it's like, 
we want to pay just like anybody else does. Transparency is important. Yeah. As is fairness. And we're not we're not looking to, for people to not make a profit. That's not the issue. But yeah. if, but if fuel is like six and a half dollars at one place and it's four dollars thirty miles away, I mean it doesn't cost that much to go thirty miles yeah. to, to to move the fuel thirty miles. Yeah. That's so right. and, and pilots do have a choice. That's yeah. the other thing. They have a choice of where to go and FBOs, and, and they have a choice of airports, too. Yeah, well, and you mentioned the choice, and it's funny because the what we found in, in research, unsurprisingly, is that when there is a choice, fees are generally lower. Aha. So, <laughs> as you would expect. A quick reminder to our podcast listeners that AOPA Flight Planner app, mm-hmm. uh, that's online, and also you can get it on your phone, has fuel pricing oh, yeah. on it. Great so point. So when you're planning a flight, sometimes, you know, some of us are kind of cheap skates. <laughs> but we figure thrifty. we're thrifty. We figure if we're thrifty, we get more flying hours. That's right. So you can use that to help you out as well. But th- that's great news to hear that Signature was denied for that Yeah, in that one instance. Yeah, I think that shows that the FAA is starting to pay attention to fees, which is important. And the other thing is that, I mean, you, you touched on this right when you introduced the segment, is that, you know, there's been a lot of consolidation in, in the FBO industry. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely a result of that, it seems. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, so let's move on to some fun stuff. Uh, This is something that you've been big into, you've been pushing us to go to, and we're going to go big, but I want to talk about what what listeners can do and and prep them a little bit and get them excited for the solar eclipse. The total solar eclipse, Ian, is coming August the 21st, and this is interesting to to our podcast listeners and to aviators in general because the eclipse is going to start in Argonne, and it's going to sweep across the breadbasket of the U.S., and exit around the Charleston, South Carolina area. So it crosses through a lot of rural municipalities, but uh, general aviation airports are directly under the path of totality. There are quite a few that afford us as pilots a place to view the solar eclipse. Cool. Do you want me to explain what a solar eclipse is? Uh, Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. So I'll probably get this wrong. Okay, so when the... (laughs) Because I've only been writing about it for about three months. So the moon will pass between the sun and the earth. Okay. And this will be a total solar eclipse. The last time something like this happened here was 99 years ago during World War One. Wow. Yeah. And so for uh, it, the longest it's going to last is two minutes and 40 seconds. And I'll tell us where that's going to be in a minute. Okay. But um, when the when the uh, sun's rays are the center of the sun rays sun's rays are blocked out by the moon, you get to see this beautiful atmosphere of the sun basically the sun's atmosphere that Mm. you'd never see because the center of the sun is so doggone bright yeah so that's what's going to be cool about it so a lot of folks will be able to travel to to ga airports and i've talked to some airport personnel in um in salem oregon madras oregon said it right i think (laughs) and um uh, carbondale illinois and uh triple tree in south carolina as well as uh, heaven's landing in georgia Nice. So there are these numerous places where pilots can go, can fly, and they can camp out at some of these places. Yeah. And um, and be this beautiful, spectacular phenomenon. Yeah. What is very cool about it as aviators is that the airports are opening up their gates and their doors to non-aviators as well as aviators. Hmm. Because, let's think about it. The area that the Eclipse is going to pass through, a lot of it is rural, and there aren't very many motels yeah. and places to stay. So there are... Um, options for camping, camping at airports, sometimes under an aircraft wing or right adjacent to the field. There are solar festivals that are popping up from Oregon to South Carolina. That's great. And uh, there'll be uh, entertainment like uh, musical acts. 
uh, carnival-type atmosphere, food trucks, mm. things like that. And most of it is family-oriented. So that's really cool for families looking for an, an end-of-the-summer break. A lot of schools don't go back until Labor Day, yeah. so that's helpful. And the, the general feel that I get for this is that people are pretty doggone psyched about the solar eclipse. Yeah, in fact, you found, as we've been doing the, you know, we, we thought we were planning ahead by starting to talk about this a little bit last year. <laughs> yeah, we did think we were And so to, tell, me, tell me, you're going to, you're going to Madras, Oregon, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and tell uh, me man, what you, you found. you it so well. No, I'm no, 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 that's because I want to say Madras, yeah, like the curry yeah, every yeah, time, yeah. but. You know, okay. force myself. So Madras. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going there. Um, I talked to Rob Berg, the uh, FBO owner out there, and he, and he's going to allow us to camp there. Paul Harrop and I are going. Paul cool. Harrop from um, AOPA Live. We checked on uh, B&Bs and motels. Yeah. So the people that are Eclipse watchers, if you will, Ian, they got started on this gig 10 years ago. Whoa. 10 years ago. So there are no motels basically available because people from Asia and Europe and Australia, they're all coming here. The reason why it's wow. cool, it's a cool deal is that a lot of times these eclipses, the total solar eclipses, pass through a very uninhabited areas like islands in the Pacific or the mm. Atlantic, uh, somewhere that is, that you can't really get to. Okay. And, in, and in the United States, we have a pretty robust road system. We have a robust you know, aviation system, and people can can get places. Yeah, I did leave out Riverton, Wyoming. I should mention, and Riverton, which is near the Wind River Range, and also Jackson, Wyoming. They're also expecting pretty cool. pretty big crowds. So. Um, so this is kind of neat. We got started a little bit late, but we did pull it together. And uh, you want me to go and tell, give everyone our rundown of where we're going to have folks? Absolutely. Okay. Paul Harrop and I will be in Oregon. We'll check it out. NASA's going to be there. There's going to be a lot of STEM high school projects going on here, which we love because that gets the younger generation involved in things like aviation. True. Science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, there's going to be a citizens astronomy project. It's called citizens, Kate, citizen Kate, mm -hmm. uh, talk to an astronomer about that. And that's going to be, uh, they're going to have like 60 different stations around the U S. So, um, we got Oregon covered. Uh, Mike Collins is going to hopefully go, uh, to Nebraska from Colorado. Mm -hmm. Dave Hirschman has plans with Chris Rose to secret plans, okay, secret, secret, plans. secret plans that we won't <laughs> mention yet, okay. but really cool. Hopefully okay. it works well, we'll, out. We'll mention it after it happens. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And then. And, um, thanks for stopping me on that. <laughs> a good deal. And so, um, uh, so Warren Morningstar is uh, recently back. Uh, and now he did basic med and got back in the saddle and has got his IFR currency. Awesome. And, he, and so um, ALTW Live Warren Morningstar is going to go to Carbondale, Illinois. And Carbondale, I talked to Gary Schaefer there, the airport manager, and they are psyched for people to come there. It's a large place. It's near Southern Illinois University. Mm-hmm. Southern Illinois had the reputation of being like the top 10 party school whenever <laughs> Playboy magazine had that poll. Such things are not PC now. <laughs> but Warren is pretty excited to go to Carbondale, so he'll be there. And then we will have uh, Alyssa Cobb over at Triple Tree, one of our favorite places in South Carolina. Hmm. Also, I found out just the other day that the gates to Heaven's Landing are going to open up to general aviation pilots. Which, if you've seen the pictures, it looks like just a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, so. Heaven's Landing is in the, the northeast corner of Georgia, and a sliver of the total eclipse is going to be right over there. And I talked to Holly over there. Uh, Holly and Mike run the place. And they're going to have a pretty doggone nice lunch for pilots. That's and great. this is a, an opportunity to get to a place that you don't normally get to. 
But I've got sad news for our podcast listeners. Hmm. Holly emailed me just a little while ago and said that she thinks they're totally booked already. Oh my gosh! Did she yeah. say how many they can fit? Uh, she did not. Yeah. She did not. I should. But I know they, it's like some airports. We're talking hundreds of airplanes already. There are there. there are some predictions that a lot of airfields will be jammed to capacity. Yeah. Uh, like uh, at Southern Illinois, I think they can accept about four hundred aircraft. Which is pretty big. Yeah. Over at uh, at Madras, uh, the same number, about four hundred, and yeah. they were almost sold out a few days ago. Wow. And then the, um, there's going to be a, a temporary control tower for our northwestern listeners at there at Oregon, hmm. Salem, Oregon, also published a uh, arrival procedures to try to keep airspace safe. So there's a lot going on, but now there are a lot of people that are very interested, and we're finding out that there, there's big support from the aviation community. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, the 21st, Google, I think most places are calling it Great American Eclipse. Yeah. Um, check out where the path of totality is. And even if you can't go and land in an airport, it's like maybe you can fly over that general area and you go could. close. We yeah. have a pretty good resource page as well. If you go to our news section and just type in total solar eclipse, you'll see a really good AOPA resource area there. And for the photo people, yeah. I need to mention this. For oh, yeah, the photo yeah. people yeah. trying to take pictures of this. First of all, you're not supposed to look at the eclipse with your naked eyes. Okay. Uh, or even if you're wearing clothes. So, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, wear the special sunglasses, that's for sure. But if you're going to take pictures, um, there are special solar filters that, um, that are like neutral density filters that filter the sun out and make it so that your cameras will expose the, the sun properly. Okay. Which you do remove during the exact totality. Two minutes and 40 seconds will be the total longest get. duration yeah. at Carbondale, Illinois, okay. where they have free hot dogs and hamburgers, suggest a donation of $2.40, hence the two <laughs> nice. minutes and 40 nice. seconds. And uh, Oregon's going to get about two minutes and 35 seconds or so, um, and, and it's so, sort of like that uh, throughout. But um, Great. two minutes, 40 seconds is maximum time, but the whole event lasts a couple hours. Yeah. And uh, starts, in, st- starts in the morning out west and ends in the uh, afternoon on the east coast. Man, I'm excited. I think it's going to be cool. We're going to see. I'm going to be here, of course, in the office. and You're going to quarterback we'll a, this whole deal. A tiny little sliver, So, but I'm looking forward to even that. That's Most of cool. America can, can get a, a decent shot at looking yeah. at it. That's awesome. Pretty neat. All right, so from fun stuff to not so fun, um, we like to do that. You know, it's we like go, go back and, and forth, up and down. Up yeah, and down. yeah, we keep you keep you going up and down. Seesaw. Um, right. This Lycoming Service Bulletin. This is something hopefully that you've read about if you're affected or heard about. Lycoming has has issued a mandatory service bulletin. Right. Um, which, as we know, if you're flying Part 91, you know, private owner flying by yourself, you're not required to comply with. However, it's a great idea to comply with that. It can be. It can be. Absolutely. It also is often the basis for an AD. It's like it predicts the future. Yes. If you're asking about predicting the future in GA, this is one thing that does it. Yep. That, that's absolutely right. So, uh, Lycoming is, is saying um, that some of their, they have isolated reports of connecting rod failures based on some bad bushings. And a con rod is like in the, in, in the middle of the engine in the block. Yeah. So connected to a piston. Yeah. Now, the name. Yeah. Which would be a pretty big failure, obviously, if it happened. Uh-huh. AOPA has been involved in this. Um, one of our frustrations has been that um, neither the FAA nor Lycoming has been very forthcoming with information on this. Right. So, they're keeping it close to their chest and it makes you wonder why. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, well, does it, you know, 
when an AD is issued, it's like one of the things that, that we'll look at is really how big of an impact is this? And how much does it cost? Basically, that's yeah. the impact. Yeah. And so we saw that recently with the, the big bore Continentals and the mm-hmm. gear teeth issue. Right. Um, found that really it wasn't a widespread problem. We're able to, with communication between Continental and the FAA, push off any threat of an AD. Now, with Lycoming, it's looking like similar maybe lead-up circumstances, but with a different, I mean, we'll, we'll see about the outcome, but much different players, I guess, in terms of the FAA and Lycoming and their willingness to work with the owner community and AOPA and others. I wonder why that, that there's a different attitude there. Now, Continental, yeah. even if I'm, not mis- if I'm not mistaken, Continental, I think, recently uh, listened to some advisory boards that had an alternative means of compliance. Yeah, they. I think the owner community especially got very involved. Right. You know, American Bonanza Society and Twin Cessnas and others that use those engines. For that, for Continental. Yeah. yeah. So for Lycoming, I mean, these are engines that are in everything from Piper Warriors and Cessna 172s on yes. up to Cherokee 6s. Yes. And some uh, big, big Lycoming engines are in, I mean, in scads of airplanes. Yes. It's, it, it would be a huge deal. So, uh, the, so these are the bushings in the connecting rods. And then we're looking at, it says something about the connecting rod assemblies needed to be identified and quarantined within the next 10 hours of operation. Yes. Followed by any necessary corrective action. Yeah. 10 hours. Yeah. That's, that's a gonna, serious. There's going to be a lot of busy mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Mike Bush, who's who's been involved and been talking to AOPA about this, he, you know, writes for Pilot yeah. and very well-known um, maintenance he, The savvy expert. aviator. And yeah. he also does uh, owner's hands-on maintenance yeah. uh, at our fly-ins. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Right. One of his sort of core beliefs is that by even doing maintenance, you have the possibility of causing future other, failures. Other things, right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so yeah. a lot of times he says, well, if it's not a widespread risk, it's like, why are we going in here and doing major surgery when really all you're going to do is cause problems down the road for a huge number of airplanes? Case in point, I had an emergency landing that was the direct result of like a cylinder replacement yeah. uh, at Amazing. some time. Yeah. And, uh, and so if the cylinder never got put on there in the first place or taken off, then likely it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So, Amazing. yeah, I totally agree with Mike on that. Ten hours, as an aircraft owner, within the next ten hours, this is really a, a costly thing for yeah. aircraft owners. Yeah, yeah. that's and to a big ske- deal. And to schedule it. And, and plus, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it's going to put your aircraft on the ground. Mm-hmm. So, for a long time. Yeah. Parts availability, all big questions still left to be answered. So and Now, there's a very long list of affected engines that you can check by serial number. Yeah, so um, I was just going to say, yep, go to the AOPA website. Just, you know, Google Lycoming Service Bulletin. Um, Dan Namowitz has a good story on it that kind of yeah. details some of that. And I believe there's a hot link to the, uh, to the PDF with uh, the serial numbers on there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. All right, back to good news. Um, we need some now. Yeah. Introduce our guest. This guy is super cool. You talked to him at Oshkosh. I didn't get a chance to, unfortunately, but I'm, I'm excited to hear the interview. So yeah. tell me a little okay. bit about him. So, uh, so Paul Rocket Hornick is part of, uh, Phillips 66's Aerostars team and they fly these awesome tailwheel Yak 52 TW airplanes, supercharged 400 horsepower Whoa. aircraft. Nice. So I asked Paul a little bit about how he got his nickname Rocket. Okay. And yeah, I was really lucky enough to, to get a ride along with that group. They're really all about aviation. They live for aviation and they are really hoping to pass on to the next generation a love for aviation and also spur people to pursue an aviation career which is going to be on the up and up for the next 20 years. Nice.
thank you very much. Uh, we're going to invite Paul Hornick onto the line via Skype. Paul is an Aerostars pilot and uh, an aerial aerobatic pilot that we had the pleasure of meeting in Oshkosh at their recently uh, held EAA Air Venture show. Paul, welcome to Hangar Talk. Thanks for having me on your show, Dave. You are welcome. So tell me a little bit about what the Aerostars do. Well, we're a formation aerobatic team, and we've been together for over 15 years now. We formed the team uh, back in 2002 and began our first performances in 2003. And we've just added this year our fourth performer, uh, Jerry Molitor, uh, former uh, IAC uh, four-time advanced U.S. national champion, former uh, team captain for the U.S. team, and uh, former uh, president of the IAC. Okay. So now you fly normally with uh, Harvey Boss Meek and uh, David Cupid Munro, correct? Well, and, and, and... And Jerry uh, is our uh, our fourth this year. Okay. And uh, and he will be a, a a permanent fixture on the team. All right. Well, before we even go further into some of the details, all right. How did you get your nickname? In my youth, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been known to accelerate uh, uh, rapidly, and uh, years ago, you know, go from zero to a hundred rather quickly. Uh, so, hence the rocket nickname. Yeah, in, in more ways than just. Speeding around, uh, so, you know. Also, uh, with in discussions with people, or uh, you know, it's just kind of an attitudinal thing, you know, from zero to a hundred <laughs> quickly. Tell our listeners what y'all fly and how how this aircraft came into being here in the states for you guys. Well, we we fly the Yak fifty two TW. It's a tailwheel western version of the original Yakolev designed airplane. Yakolev is a Russian design bureau, but virtually all the Yaks 52s and 52 TWs were built uh, in Romania by a company called SC Aerostar, and uh, they they were originally part of, uh, you know, the Iron Curtain, part of the Soviet Union. But then they, uh, you know, when the Soviet Union fell, Romania got its independence. They elected to join the European Union. So they had this factory making yaks, and uh, they partnered up with a company in, in the U.S. called Jasoko. They helped them westernize the yaks with... Uh, Cleveland wheels and brakes and uh, American instrumentation and such and the uh, and the tailwheel uh, version. The airplanes that we brought in, uh, the oldest one was 2001, and then the newer ones are 03s. We you know we bought them virtually brand new from from the factory in Romania. Then they they shipped them over on in sea containers, and then we had them assembled and then uh, painted and radioed here in the. In the states, these are high-performance aircrafts with a like a what a nine-cylinder radial engine. Yeah, it's a nine-cylinder supercharged, and the uh, TWs are 400 horsepower versus the originals Yak 52s that were only 360 horsepower. So they they changed the gearing on the superchargers, so we're getting a uh, a little more boost out of them than the original, yielding another 40 horsepower. And you tell me that you guys run these aircraft and aircraft engines hard, 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 
and you had kudos to you tipped your hat to the Phillips people about the oil you you were using and what was that oil again? Yeah, we're using the Phillips sixty six uh, XC twenty five sixty uh, weight, and uh, you know because we're based out of Northern Illinois, we we can't run a, a straight weight oil. We do our workups starting. Uh, anywhere between February and March, uh, our preseason workups prior to uh, departing. Typically, our first show of the season is sun and fun. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we've gone as far south as the Dominican Republic. Nice. So we've had you know, from minus 5 degrees in February to you know, 95 degrees down there in the DR. And you know, we, we don't have time or, or the wherewithal to be doing oil changes on, on the airplanes away from home. So we'll deploy down to Florida or the DR and bring them home and, and do an oil change after 25 hours. And we're able to do all that kind of a mission with XC oil. And, and we don't have to go changing around from one weight to the other. And, and we don't have to worry about that cold engine starting you know and that's where you get the majority of your uh where is uh, you know on a cold engine start absolutely and we experience in northern illinois oh well, i can imagine i can imagine it's frigid up in northern illinois and really what what better way to start out the spring or you know in february than to, to head south to florida or the dominican republic i mean it's just uh enjoying the sun gallivanting around having a grand old time now speaking of gallivanting around having a grand old time you guys fly at speeds up to like what 250 miles an hour or so the, the highest we'll ever usually touch is probably 220 230 uh mile, and that's miles an hour not not uh-huh. but uh as we're heading into one another that's our closure rates you know for 440 450 miles an hour so uh you know, when we're doing the head-on passes and such. So it keeps keeps your blood flowing, keeps your mind, you know, the brain, the synapses firing. The formation flying in, in some ways is the easiest versus the passes and the uh, and the rejoins, you know. Once you get on board with the lead, then, then you're in your, your little spot in the sky and you're flying all your marks off of him and as long as old boss Meek is uh, behaving himself and, and providing a good platform, Dave and I don't whine too much. But yeah. but if he kind of ratchets a barrel roll, then, then we get to squawking and whining during the debriefs. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in the middle of that of that mess. So now you guys practice for quite a while before you got the act together in the first place. And one figure that was interesting to me, Paul, was that trying to add one new maneuver to the routine you said back in the day uh, cost several thousand bucks tell me a little bit more about that one maneuver and and how much it cost you guys to get that perfected well and this was when gas was a little cheaper than it is now it's, it's come down a little bit so that that's good but uh, we we brought in our opening maneuver now it, as long as we have a at least a 2,500 foot ceiling is uh, the uh, downward bomb burst where we'll roll in and do a, a loop and then uh, pivot the uh, airplanes and, and break away on that downward bomb burst. And, and we could do the loop, and we, but it was that pivot of the planes on the, on the zero G line that proved a little troublesome for us to get that and the timing and then the 
two opposing half Cubans between Dave and I, and then to figure out the whole rejoin off of that to get the three planes back together for the next uh, Vic formation loop and to break the figure down into its individual components and practice each component and then pull those components back together and re-choreograph the show and get the rejoin done and to do it all in a, you know, in a relatively smooth fashion and not eat up a huge amount of air show time. That took us just 6,000 in gas to, to do that figure, just in wow. gas to get it to the, be, you know, proficient and 100% on our mark in, in, in front of crowds. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of dollars through the uh, fuel pump. <laughs> it is, it is. Now that particular man- maneuver that you just explain to me that is y'all signature maneuver and you're calling it that is the downward bomb burst correct yeah and and that it's hard to uh to fly in formation when you're zero g or or negative g it's 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 a tougher it's tougher on the wingman to to stay in position you know when you're you know zero g or or negative g you, you know Military aircraft never do it. You're always pulling. You never, you never really zero G in planes when you're in a dogfight. Wow, that sounds like a lot of practice and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of planning ahead of time. So now, did you guys? I mean, y'all had to what dr- have drawn this out on chalkboards and and uh, I don't know slide rules. I mean, what did you use this before iPad minis and all the cool stuff we got now, right? Right. Well, we, we, we have a whiteboard where we do our briefs and debriefs. And then we also, you know, we before every show, we'll walk our show. All, all, all four of us get together and walk our routine. You know, we attempt to do it three-dimensionally with our hands while we're walking. But it, it gives you a, a place in space. And we, you know, every, every guy goes through the litany uh, and the cadence and the call out. So before every show, you'll you'll see us walking around on, on a on a ramp or in a hangar somewhere quiet where we can hear ourselves speak to one another and make the call out and and uh, you know fly our planes in, in our um, imaginary airspace with the four of us and you'll you'll see us it looks kind of silly four guys stumbling around on a ramp or in a hangar but. But it works for us, and uh, and it helps you know helps keep the cadence and, and ultimately the the safety. That is pretty cool stuff. I had never seen that happen. I'm not an air show pilot or an aerobatic pilot. I've done some aerobatic maneuvers for training and all, but I saw Sean Tucker. Uh, walking it on the ramp with a young uh, protege, his name Cameron Jacksheimer, and I was fascinated. And uh, I would imagine that's a really, really important thing to do to prep for the show. Get your head in the in the groove, so to speak, and uh, and really communicate well with your teammates. Yeah, and it it, it is. Uh, we we always before our show, usually about an hour before our 
performance, we'll kind of go into our own little lockdown mode where we, you know, focus, start zeroing in on things. And about about half an hour before we fly, we'll walk the show, and then each guy will go out and check his plane over and strap in. So there's there's kind of a cadence and a and a deliberative process that we we go through to kind of get into our little comfort zone and get our our brains in the right focus for the the day's events. Gotcha. Now you guys fly uh, daytime events, but also uh, you do a little bit of night work too, don't you? Yeah, we have a night show, and I, I actually prefer the night shows or the twilight shows because usually the sun is set and the air tends to smooth out a little bit. And, you know, us pilots, we're notoriously lazy, so it makes it <laughs> easier for, for the, the wingmen to do the flying. Now, the rejoins are a little, little hairier because, uh, you know, you have uh, not as much depth perception. So as you're coming back, aboard after you've broken the formation apart and now you're getting it back together uh those those last 25 or 30 feet you know you you have a little bit more difficulty uh making the judgment on on those closure rates so our rejoins are if anybody really watches us our rejoins in the night show are just a a few seconds slower than our, our day rejoins. That has got to be the most difficult. I would think it would be the most difficult thing to do, the, the rejoin at night. And because it, sometimes it's already, you know, pure dark at that point, too, depending on how long the show is and, and when y'all perform, you know. We did one show out in Rifle, Colorado, and uh, and that was pretty pretty exciting because as you're, as you're doing your rejoins, it, you know, if you're, flying around the mountains there and there there's absolutely no light none oh no light right. off the grounds or anything so uh, you're coming over the top of a barrel roll at night on harvey's uh wing and you're you know you're wondering where where when am i going to see that runway again <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be the weirdest feeling uh, you know but but again the other on the other hand you're up there with your teammates and just like with any other team, a sports teams included, and you guys are really dependent on each other. Oh yeah, we're you know, and it's kind of an interesting thing because we made a contract when the three of us started the the team years ago. Uh, we told Harvey better not hit the ground, and Harvey said we better not hit him. There you go. So <laughs> so, so far we've all lived up to our end of the bargain. Oh and, thank and, goodness. Uh, we, you know when you're really tight like that it requires a lot of faith in uh, in the guys right next to you and and you know we've, we've gotten a lot tighter and crisper in our formation over the years and that, and that's because we've all you know gained our in experience and abilities and trust in one another you know as we all got better in, in our our abilities Harvey was able to he was able to better understand our needs when he can push the power up, when he's got to give us an inch. And, uh, and that's something that, you know, you, for each individual style of show or, or air, airplane airframe that you're flying, the, you know, the team lead has to know the points where he can put a little power in when he needs it and the points where he's got to get give a little power back to the wingman. And then when you're talking, and when you're talking about an inch here or there, you're talking about an inch of manifold pressure, right? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. You know, throttle, basically throttle movement. Give me an inch lead, you know, uh, get, 
give me some power. But at the end of the day, you know, safety always is, is the first thing. So, you know, Har- Harv knows when he, he'll have to push it up if, you know, if it's really hot and I need an inch, well, he may not give it to me and, and you know, it will just suffer what we have to suffer so that we don't, you know, break into our safety margins. Gotcha. So now um, you guys have a, there's some, uh, there's probably some interesting uh, language uh, that you've referred to, you know, things with, you know, about safety margins and uh, people are not aerobatic pilots might not know the phrases knock it off and things like that. What are some of the phrases that you guys use? And I mean the ones that you can say on a podcast that for a family environment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, lead power or our show is so scripted that we really don't, you know, I sucked a valve once uh, during a practice upside down, 800 feet above the ground. And I just said, two's out. And we have our standard operating procedures. We, we have SOPs and, uh, all written down. Each guy has a copy of them. In fact, before we begin our show season, we all review those, reread them just to kind of get your mind fresh and thinking about things. And then, you know, only there's only one set of documents that are kept by Dave. And then if we want to change them, he keeps the, the master set and we only have one master set and then we'll reprint up and throw away the old, old one. You know, if we find a new technique or something that we we like, we'll we'll make a change to our SOPs. But uh, you know, for us, it's, we can almost fly our show without, and we practice it with lost comps. So, you know, I, we we prefer not to, but we we can do it lost comp. It certainly wouldn't be as tight as. Uh, as our normal show. That is uh, an interesting thing to think about. Paul have never even considered what would have happened if you can't speak to each other. That is so cool. That's a a real tidbit that I never would have thought about. So, so if somebody, you know, has a, a, a maintenance issue, we have our, or, or a controllability issue. Uh, we, we have our, our pre-planned, this is where I'm going to go. This is where he's going to go. This is, you know, this is how I'm going to handle my airplane, and this is what's expected of the other two or three guys in, in the formation. That is cool. And each—that's our contract. You know how we how we operate, so that in the event of something happening, we know where the other guy is going to go and what he's going to do, and what the rest of the team is going to do, and what the expectations are. And, and we've had you know little things like that happen. You know where. You know, I had to break out away from the boys because my engine was misbehaving with a valve that wasn't behaving appropriately. And, and I, you know, got away from the boys, got on the ground, and uh, and then, you know, they they recovered after after I was able to get the plane off the runway. And that's because you guys brief, briefed it beforehand. You practiced the routine. You all know each other. You've done it so many times, but you still, you know, safety is a primary objective always obviously yeah you know for for us it's unlike the reno air races and the reno air races every everybody has the goal of being in front right each each guy wants to be in that lead position and and on our team we we don't you know we i don't want to be in harvey's spot dave doesn't want to be in my spot and uh and jerry doesn't want to be in in anybody's spot except the slot so you know it's 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 all 
very scripted and choreographed to to minimize and mitigate those risks that are already inherent in, in air show flying. And from the ground is a complete uh, aerial ballet of of the you know with the utmost precision is just so pretty it flows so well and I bet a lot of our podcast listeners probably didn't realize how much time it takes to get these maneuvers down pat and how much you know camaraderie you guys have but also how much practice y'all put in and you make it look so easy well that's the goal I, I guess in, in any profession is to make you know difficult stuff look easy and and uh, that's kind of what we like to do. You know, real, realistically, the longer you do something, the easier it gets. You know, we've all, I'm probably the lowest time guy with, you know, slightly over 10,000 hours. I think, I think old Fossil there has got 38,000 hours. And uh, Cupid's probably got, I don't know, 33 or 35,000 hours. And Boss probably has somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 or 22,000 hours. So I'm kind of hours wise. I'm one of the junior guys. I am the junior guy hours wise. A lot of that is because I spent so much time uh, in flight crew training with, when I was with uh, DHL in the simulator. That was my primary focus was instructing and checking in the sim and just flying uh, a couple of times a month for currency. And one of the reasons I did that was I was so senior in flight crew training, I could get every weekend off for air shows. There you go. <laughs> so you had a plan in mind. Your plan was to work hard during the week, get the weekends off for air shows, and do what you love doing uh, the best. Yeah, it, 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 it really worked well for me there. And uh, one year when I was at there, we I think we did 19 shows plus working full-time jobs. So 19 shows in a season, and then when you have two of them that are a week long with Oshkosh and Sun and Fun, or you're deploying all the way down to the DR, it's a, it eats up a lot of time, and, and it, it requires a, an understanding family. Sure. And, and it sounds like you do have that. And you know, I know you've got uh, some family members that are following in the aviation footsteps. Uh, and you mentioned to me that you've had a, a variety of aircraft, a, a, a Cub, a Mooney, a couple of Yaks. Uh, you guys, you told me that there are a couple of Barons in the, you know, between the, the show performers uh, on the team and, and whatnot. And you really, obviously, really do live, eat, sleep, and breathe aviation. Oh, yeah. I, I, the first plane I ever bought was a, a 1947 Aronka Champ. And, and man, I, you know, if, if I had unlimited funds, I'd have another one. But <laughs> unfortunately, I so, I mean, I love flying Cubs and Champs. And, you know, there's just something very tangible about going out and even if you're by yourself and swinging a prop and starting the engine up, just hand propping it and going around and flying around at 500 feet with the window open or the door open on a cub and, and putzing around low and slow and looking at the cows or looking at bald eagles, and, you know, flying over streams and dreaming about fly fishing in them and wondering what you could catch, what kind of, you know, I just, just, it's just, man, I, I, there's not a, not a bad day when you're flying just isn't that's awesome you know what you got a smile on my face here paul and and uh make make me you're actually making me want to go out there and swing the prop on one of these cessnas we have over here at aopa and any final thoughts for our folks that might be listening if you haven't 
taking a flight lesson or an in, intro to aviation, go out to your airport, check it out. And if and if if it, if you find that geez, I don't know if it's for me, that's okay. But don't deny yourself the opportunity to fall in love with aviation. And maybe you're not. Maybe you don't want to fly. Maybe you want to work on the airplanes. Man, uh, the guys who help me maintain my Mooney and my Yak are just some of the nicest fellas you could ever ever run into. You know, and, and they love working on airplanes. And and one of the guys uh, is working on his ratings. You know, and they just love being around him. He's got he's got a buddy. He's got a good deal. He's got a buddy of his who wants him to just fly his Cub to keep the engine oil going. You know, I like that kind of a deal. I could could do that kind of deal myself if he's looking for volunteers. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to move out of the Virginia area. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, before we close, Paul, uh, give me a, if you, and I'm not not trying to put you on the spot, but tell me where the next uh, performance will be for the Phillips 66 Aerostars. And also don't forget to hit me with uh, y'all's website or Facebook site so people could find you guys. Well, our uh, uh, next performance will be at the uh, Chicago Air and Water Show. And that's the middle of August. That's the uh, August 19th and 20th. And that's right on the lakefront of Chicago. So we'll be there. And our uh, Facebook page is uh, Aerostar's uh, Formation Aerobatic Flight Team. All right. Well, I'll see if I could find that face. I think I already found your Facebook page the other day and went ahead and put a like in there so I could uh, – follow you guys a little bit behind the scenes and um i know that i think uh i've tap danced around and it looked like you guys had a regular internet page as well you can look us up under philip66lubricants.com uh-huh. and they have a link right to our uh, our website philip66lubricants.com we can handle that for team aerostars Paul, I really appreciate you spending time with us on Hangar Talk. I know that you just went from the East Coast to the West Coast uh, on your corporate gig, and uh, I wish you uh, safe journeys, and I hope that our paths will cross again soon. Thanks very much, Dave. Bye-bye. All right, David. Nice, nice job on that one. You know, I um, it's so funny. I've flown a little bit. I've flown a little bit of formation, right? Right. Because um, we do these photo shoots here. Doing formation aerobatics blows my mind. The, I know what those guys are able to do. It's just Im- very, very impressive. One Incredible. false move and it's all over. And, yeah. <laughs> and they they start practicing in the dead of winter, like he told us, and yeah. uh, and they run it all through the summer. And that he said, and then they run, they run hard. So yeah, very cool. Th- thank you to Paul and the Aerostars team for helping us out. That was great. That's great. All right, I think that's all the time we have for this week. Um, thanks for listening to Hangar Talk. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen, and I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org/hangartalk. You can also get us on iTunes. You can email us at hangertalk at aopa.org and find us on Sporty's Takeoff app. All right. Thanks, Dave. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Ian.